0: Today we're going to talk about am I healthy? Well, what does it mean to be healthy? Well, whenever we talk about am I healthy, we're not just talking about spiritual health. I mean, uh, uh, physical health. We're talking about holistic health. We're talking about being a whole. Okay, being healthy in every part of you your your physical body, your emotions, your relationships, your 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 spirit, man. Right, your your body, soul, spirit, being a uh, uh, whole. And and also this word means uninjured uninjured, not damaged. And there is a, <clears throat> a large focus in our society on being healthy and whole. Uh, I'm sure it, you know, it's always been like that to a certain extent, but I would say in the last you know, maybe a couple of decades that the awareness of emotional and mental health has come to a new level. And a lot of things that used to be taboo to talk about is not taboo to talk about, thank God. You know, and, 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 you know, people, if they have a broken leg, uh, they'll go to the doctor. But if they have something broken in their mind or something that's just a little bit off in their mind and in their heart and their emotions, they're like, I just got to suck it up. And uh, the Bible doesn't even tell us to do that. (laughs) So that's some sort of pride or some sort of insecurity that's caused that. But the Bible opens it up and says, no, I mean, there's this this concept of wholeness. And that's what we want to talk about. Last week, we talked about how health is a value here at Northwood Church. Being healthy. And that's what we mean by being healthy is holistically healthy in every part of us. And that we want to operate from a place of health. We believe that God designed us to live a life that is healthy and whole, that he designed us to be whole. You know, in the garden, everything was whole and complete. In the garden, go back to creation, everything was whole and complete, and there was perfect harmony between God and man. Adam and Eve, they were created, and they were whole. And, and I mean, they walked with God in the cool of the day, there was this... This sense of wholeness and completeness where they, they didn't lack anything. Physically, they didn't lack anything. Emotionally, spiritually, they were, they were whole. And mankind was whole in, in God. And so we were designed to be dependent on him. I believe that. That we were designed to be dependent on God. And that is for our good and also for his glory. Okay? We were designed to be dependent on him. To desire and need the essence of God's nature. Now we talk about this from time to time. I believe that what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden was God's love, his full love, his full peace, his full joy, the fullness of who God was. They experienced that and God was able to meet needs just through their fellowship, through their relationship. And I believe that we were, we're still created in that way. We're created in the image of God. And I believe that's why people need love and joy and peace and all of these things. We need these things. There's an Old Testament word that describes what that is. And it's shalom. It's shalom. And many times it's, in, it's uh, interpreted as peace. But it means wholeness, completeness, soundness, welfare, well-being, and peace. Wholeness completeness. That's what it means. And so so keep this picture in your mind because this is really what we're going to be talking about. And and, and this word has this broad meaning of just human flourishing. Where there is just a flourishment in the way that people live their lives. But the the problem is, is that the serpent came. The serpent deceived Adam and Eve. And whenever sin entered in, it broke that relationship between God and man. It broke apart our Shalom. It broke apart this completeness, this wholeness. And where God brought brought us holistic life, sin has brought us holistic death. And our bodies were broken. We kind of said it last week a little bit, but we're all dying right now. Be encouraged. (laughs) Things are breaking down inside of us. You know, we're we're headed in a direction that none of us want to go, but we're headed in that direction. Our body is breaking down. Our our hearts, our soul, our emotions are damaged. There's brokenness. There's, There's emotional trauma. There's things that we endure that we weren't built to endure. We weren't built to endure death. It's why death is so foreign to us and it will never be normal because we weren't built for it. We weren't designed for it. We weren't designed for emotional trauma, the things that we have to go through. Not really. So our body, our soul, our spirit, we weren't designed to be apart from God. We were designed to be with him, dependent on him. Our world, look around us. Our world, Shalom, has, has broken down. And so we see all these things around us. We see relational battles. We see war. We just see evil. It's just evil. Murder. I mean, you read about it every single day. There's at least one story every single day that I either read or hear about, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that capacity is in us, in justice. So now we, we see these things, and we try to regain shalom. We try to regain completeness from creation or through our own efforts rather than in Christ, rather than in Jesus We're reaching out and grabbing a hold of things. And and this is something I firmly believe. I believe that society is crying out for shalom. I mean, like, desperate for it. And in one sense, I think it's a desire that is there, and it will be there forever. It's questions that we ask, and we will ask forever, because it's... It's what a lot of people call like a God-sized void in the heart of a man, right, that we need that only God can fill. I believe there's a God-sized void in, in culture, in our society, that only God can fulfill because God created it. But yet we continue to try to plug things in to fix it, and it doesn't plug the leak because our efforts always fall short. It's sort of like a black hole. I've been, I've been watching some shows and stuff about space and it's, you know, fiction stuff, but it's, I'm a, I'm a big sci-fi guy. I like sci-fi, you know, and they're all the same, but I love them. And, uh, you know, there's this one, it was talking about, it was showing this black hole and, and you know, the destruction that was happening and all this kind of stuff. And that's and just, that's how I, I picture our society when it comes to what we're talking about. It's just plug it, plug away, just try to throw stuff in it. There's no bottom to the pit. Because we cannot attain shalom on our own. I'll give you an example. This word, justice. The word justice, I think, is one of the most <clears throat> difficult words to define right now in our society. Even in the church, it's difficult to decide. Because <clears throat> just has to do with things being made right. Things coming back to an even balance, right? So if someone's murdered, then there should be justice for that murder. The problem with murder is that you cannot bring that person back to life, which would be restoration, right? And so there's a cry for justice, whether it be murder, whether it, just plug it in. The word justice, and and justice isn't just about punishing wrongdoing. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it. Because some people think, well, justice was done because this happened and this person and blah, blah, blah and now we're done. But, but if you add in the other part of justice, which has to do with restoring that was what was damaged back to wholeness, If you you bring the second part of what that word means, restoring something back to wholeness, that means whatever caused the injustice must be fixed in order for it to truly be just. And so now we have a conundrum. Because how do you fix something that's very difficult to fix? How do you bring about justice whenever everybody has a different idea of how to do that? Anybody have the answer real quick? No, okay. Now I'm not I'm not belittling the word. I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing up the, and this is what I believe. I believe the cry for justice is a cry for shalom, for wholeness and completeness and for things to be made right. But here's the problem. You can't accomplish justice with injustice. One unjust act doesn't correct another. It just creates more injustice. And so we go around this tree over and over and over. What is biblical justice? What is it? Everybody's got their own filter. And I believe there's a lot of conversations that need to be had. They need to continue to be had. But in the church, we've got to have the right conversations. We've gotta be searching for the right thing. And what's amazing is is in the body of Christ, because in the world it's gonna be nuts, but in the body of Christ, there has to be a a putting down of defenses, a putting down of defenses in order to come together and begin to have discussion and unite, because if not, we already know what's on the other side of that, it's just more division. And this is something that's not gonna go away anytime soon. But I really believe just this one small example is an example of many things where we are crying out for, inju- uh, for, for, for shalom. We're crying out for completeness and wholeness. But there's an issue. That shalom can only be found in God. So what happens whenever we try to use the world's system to accomplish what only God can actually accomplish in his kingdom. Well, you can't. You you can't. And that's hard for us. Why? Because in deep inside of us, from birth, y'all, I have have almost a four-year-old. Since she was two years old, she always says this phrase, that's not fair. That's not fair. She learned it from her sister, you know. (laughs) That's not fair. That's not fair. And you know what? It's true. I've walked through things in my life in the last few years where I literally sit there and I'm like, it's just that's just not fair. <laughs> that's a cheap shot. That's just that's just not fair, man. And and so whether it's something simple or whether it's something massive, it's still the same thing. Something's not right. I would agree. Something's not right. Something's not just because we're not just, the collective of who we are. But guess who is just? God. Literally, it's part of who he is. God is just. He holds the scales. He also holds it in his timeline. And that's another thing that we miss is we want something like in the moment and God's playing the long game. And that's hard. I'm, I'm with you. That is, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's angering. It, it's like, come on. I, I get it. But I can't help but see that all throughout Scripture. I can't help but see that through all, all throughout mankind. But what I do see from strong men and women of God is they never question God, they never, well, some did, some shook their fist at God, but but there has to be this moment where, God, I trust you. I was listening to somebody talk about faith yesterday, and they were talking about having faith in God, and how it's not this blind faith, but it's also not this faith that says, God, if you do this one thing, then I'll trust you. No, faith is, God, I trust you with whatever happens and whatever you do, because I believe it's, It's that you're in control of it. And so we have this responsibility, but we also have this faith and this trust at the same time. Y'all feel this tension? This is is difficult. There's a tension here. Why? Because we want shalom. We want peace. And peace doesn't just mean lack of war. It means completeness, wholeness. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, We may... Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Basically, may he sanctify you so that you are complete. And may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your whole body, your whole spirit, who you are, may you be kept blameless. One thing that I see about the scripture is, is there's this, this focus in on what the work, the, the work that God is doing in us, in us, individually. And God God's heart is to ultimately bring us back to Shalom, to bring us, to bring me, to bring you back to Shalom, which is him. And that's what God's concerned with, to bring us back to him primarily. There's this story in the Bible in Mark chapter 2, and there's there's a guy and he's paralyzed and he's got some friends who they're they're hearing the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is healing a bunch of people, and so they decide, hey, let's bring our friend to see Jesus, and Jesus will heal him and restore you know restore his body back to where where he needs to be. And they bring him to a house, and the house is packed out. Every, I mean, there's people like spilling out the doors and all that kind of stuff, and there's there's no way to get him into the door. But they didn't give up. And this is what what happens in Mark chapter 2, verse 4. It says, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. If that was my house, I would be very, very upset. (laughs) And when they had made an opening big enough to let a man through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, man, he saw their faith. Come on, can you feel it? God, Jesus is going to heal them. He says, sons, your sins are forgiven. I, I, I kind of imagine stories in the Bible uh, and probably take a little bit too much liberty, but just tarry with me. I think whenever he said, son, your, your sins are forgiven, I think it was, there was a letdown. Like his friends are like, he says, son, and they're like, yes, yes your sins are forgiven, huh? (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, I mean, that's cool, Jesus, but like right now, I mean, look, we just tore this guy's roof up so he could walk. You know what I'm saying? And, And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus was more concerned with this man's spiritual healing than he was his physical healing. There was a priority here. And Jesus is prioritizing this man's eternal life over his temporary one. And that's a problem for us, y'all. We just did it here at the end of the, at the, end of the, uh, the worship. We just were just talking about this, where we get consumed with what's in front of us. We get consumed with our physical issues, and we feel like that's the first priority. If I could just get healed, if I could just get that money or that job or that person or whatever it is, then I will begin to do this. And, and that's not what Jesus talked. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God above all things. The kingdom of God above your kingdom and my kingdom. And so Jesus prioritizes man's spiritual health over his physical health. And it goes on and he says this. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That you may know that what I'm saying I can actually back up. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed And go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. I think that patterns mean a lot in the Word of God. And I see a pattern here of the Spirit before the physical. You know, I see a lot of people do the same thing in church, though. If you talk to someone about their spiritual health or their relationship with God, a lot of people will go directly to how many times they go to church a month, or what they do in the church, or how much money they give to the church, or or whatever else. And uh, you know, or you talk to someone who maybe hasn't been to church in a while. And you ask them if they've gone, to, you know, if, they, if they're a believer in Jesus, or you get in that kind of conversation, and they go to church, or they go to some sort of physical expression, rather than no, like how are you doing? Like in you, like how's your faith? You know, how, how's your belief in God? How how are you? Not how, what are you doing, but who are you? How are you? And I think sometimes that might be a defense mechanism just to kind of try to, you know. But I think sometimes it's actually just a lack of priority. It's a bad priority. It's, no, look at what I'm doing. And I think Jesus is more concerned primarily, although what we do matters, don't get me wrong. He's, he's first concerned with who we are, right? That's where the focus is at. And so he goes on verse, or the story goes on in verse um, 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he he was teaching them. I would have loved to hear what he was teaching them, huh? Come on, so curious. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. This is a tax collector. In case you don't know, tax collectors were horrible people. Everybody hated him. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi arose and followed him. I love that Jesus called a tax collector. Jesus called people from different walks of life to be his disciples. They were not, um, they were not theologians. They were not Jewish rabbis. He was a Jewish rabbi. They were not, um, they were not even very old, right? They, they, they were still young. They were not morally sound. Levi here is not like all cleaned up, okay? He's a tax collector, and by virtue of being a tax collector, you gotta bend the rules, And Jesus calls him. And it goes on, verse 15. And as he reclined at a table in his house, Jesus went to Levi's house. Got to picture it, y'all. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So the whole crowd that was over here, you know, spilling out the house, they just saw this miracle. A lot of them, they, they keep tracking with Jesus. He ends up seeing Levi, a tax collector. You know, the Pharisees are all around, they're all up in the mix trying to trap Jesus. And he not only does he call Levi to be one of his disciples, he then goes to Levi's house. People's brains are going. Right? And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, I think it's interesting that they said it to his disciples. They didn't go to Jesus. (laughs) They didn't go to Jesus. They went to his disciples. They see Jesus doing what Jesus does. And they don't go up and say, hey, Jesus, can we talk to you real quick? They go to, the, to the, the students of Jesus. They go to those who are maybe a little bit shaky in who this man is and, and, and different things, you know, the law and whatnot, and they go in all of their nice garb and they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They begin to plant seeds of doubt into his disciples and question the way that Jesus is acting. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. I tell you, spiritual pride is so deceptive. You, you don't, I mean, by nature of something being deceptive, you don't know that it's, that it's deceptive, <laughs> okay? Like you, if you're deceived, you're usually completely unaware that you're deceived. Something has to happen to, to pull the blinders back. And so these Pharisees, they know the law. They're, I mean, they know every line. They've memorized it. They're so strong in their belief. But yet they can't see that the one that all of that pointed to, the law and the prophets, they can't see that the Messiah is right there in front of them. Because they're blinded by the religion. They're blinded by their own standards that they've put up that God didn't even put on people. They're blinded by all of that and they're in deception and now they're beginning to spread their deception to other people. Why why is he doing it like that? Those are sinners. Verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, that were they saying it loud enough for everybody to hear? Like, were they like, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? You know? <laughs> Everyone listen up. I have a very important news announcement to make. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Um, was it that? Or was it Jesus could just feel it? feel the deception. You could feel the wrong motive. Maybe a, maybe a combination of both. But Jesus feels this slimy, deceptive spiritual pride and he calls it out. And he calls it out sarcastically. Jesus is being sarcastic in his next words. right? Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick and that word holi- a holistic sickness every part, sick. I came not to call the righteous. Hey, guys, (laughs) no, Pharisees, I didn't didn't come to call you. No, you're good. You're obviously good. (laughs) No, I actually came for these people. I came not to call the righteous, but I came for sinners. So like the very thing that you're accusing me of, you're actually accurate in, but you're seeing it from the wrong angle. You're seeing it through the lens of pride and deception, not through the lens of grace and compassion and love. You think what you're doing is loving, but it's actually very ungracious, and the fruit of it's going to be death. He's correcting them, and the Pharisees, they never liked that. They never liked that. Would you? Let's be honest. Let's, let's, let's put ourselves in the Pharisees' shoes today. Because honestly, we probably would be a lot like them in a lot of different ways. But Jesus says, if you're sick, you're who I came for. And so if, if you feel like you're sick in, in, your, in your soul, if you feel like you're sick in your spirit... I want to encourage you right here in this part of the message that you're exactly who Jesus has come for. You remember we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit for they they shall see God, they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who realize that they are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize they are unrighteous. Jesus here is like, I came for those people. I came for those people who have an understanding that apart from me, they don't have life. That apart from me, they don't have hope. That shall fall short of the standard of God because they were never intended to actually be able to attain that on their own. It's why we declare that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why we declare that with confidence and humility, The Pharisees didn't quite know about that yet. But we don't have an excuse. So for us to fall into spiritual pride is for us to step outside of God's grace and begin to try to accomplish things, accomplish our spiritual growth, accomplish things on our own. And that's really not completely how God intended it. So how did Jesus come to restore Shalom? What was the cost to get this shalom back? By the way, remember what we're talking about. Am I healthy? Am I, do I have shalom? Do I have this in my life? How did Jesus come to restore the fact that this was broken? Well, number one, he went on the cross. He went on the cross. Then he went into the grave. He rose from the grave. And he crushed, by doing this, he crushed the serpent and the sin and death the serpent brought into the world. Remember, we talked about Genesis 3 a few weeks ago, the first mention of the gospel. And here in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, Paul echoes this and he says, The God of peace, the God of shalom, will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's what God did. He crushed the power of death and the grave that the serpent brought. He crushed that power and overcame it with his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And now Jesus is waiting. He's ruling and reigning and waiting to come back and establish fully the kingdom of God on this earth. And this is where our faith and our hope lies, that that in that moment... Shalom will be completely restored back to us, back to this world, back to creation as it was originally intended. And everyone who's a believer in Christ will experience this type of thing that we're talking about. We talk about this tension a lot of the already but not yet. Something that has begun but not completely finished. And there's this this thing in between, right? And we live in this in between. And as Christians, as we read the Bible and as we hope for eternity and we hope for, for God's completed work, We also know that Jesus came and established the kingdom of God and he's ruling and reigning, but yet we still look around us and we still see murder and strife and brokenness and injustice. And we see these things and we try to reconcile them, but some things are not fully reconcilable in the current time that we're living in, the current era that we're living in. And we talk about it a lot because, I'll be honest, I need to be reminded of this a lot. I think about this a lot because of what I see and experience, right? And I have to be reminded about this. And so I feel like it's so important to bring this to you, to remind you. And some of you might be, hey, I got it. I'm good. But I know that the majority of people, there's this angst in us. There's an angst. There's an angst in your personal life. And I'm pointing you to something greater than your effort. I'm pointing to you to something that's greater than your ability and, and, and even the, 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 peop, the ability of the people that you know that, that you maybe find yourself dependent on. And there's something greater. There's something bigger. Colossians 1 says this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him... To reconcile to himself all things. That might be kind of a confusing phrase, but really what it means is God reconciled all things to himself through Christ. He reconciled. he, He brought it together. Whether on earth or in heaven, making shalom, making peace. How did he do it? By the blood of the cross. How did he do it? By the blood of the cross. Does that... Does that uh, uh, encourage your faith whenever you read a scripture like that? Does it build something up in you to know that you know how God made peace, brought shalom, reconciled things back together? Or is there something inside of you like, ah, something more. Give me something else. Give me something else. No, this is it. In Jesus... This is how God chose to restore Shalom. This is the timeline in which he chose. In him, all things have been reconciled, whether on earth or in heaven. Temporary, eternal. It doesn't matter. He made Shalom by the blood of the cross. And that's how we find Shalom in our life. My question to you is, this whole series is, am I healthy? Take a moment. Ask yourself that question. Am I healthy? Do I have this completeness, this wholeness? I would say that none of us have complete shalom, all right? And I would also say that we're not gonna experience complete shalom in this life. But I can tell you this, the journey to to peace in your heart and in your life begins, I really believe this begins with a relationship with Jesus, the one who has reconciled all things back together. And outside the gospel, outside this truth, I don't know that anything can really make sense. No religion, no 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 internal humanistic thing can actually answer all of the questions and answer them in a way that actually brings hope and grace and love and truth and justice and all of these things together. Because all of them lack something. But because what we believe is founded upon the truth of the word of god and upon the truth of jesus christ we can actually know truth real truth and we can actually know shalom and i know you know as we start 2022 that a lot of people are searching for health they're searching for for this this thing i mean all over you know facebook and stuff it's like you know, man, this year I'm going to do this and do that and do this. And, and I think it's great. I think, I mean, I think we need new beginnings and new starts and, and all that. I think it's great, you know. But I do believe that there's still a, a necessity to know where our help truly comes from. And our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen? Let me pray for you right now. God, I thank you for each and every person in this place. I thank you for truth. I thank you for your word that speaks to us, convicts us. God, as this this month, as we ask this question, am I healthy? Am I truly healthy? God, I pray that you would open up our eyes, that you would peel back the layers of our heart to truly be able to see and sense whether or not we are healthy. God, for some of us, we're calloused and we feel like we're healthy, but God, it's just a callous, and that callous is is inhibiting us from being able to experience life, to experience shalom. And we're, oh, we feel like we're okay, but, but we're not really okay. We've just got scar tissue and things that are just kind of holding things together. God, I'm praying that right now that you would begin to break up that scar tissue in our hearts, in our lives, that you begin to break up the, the scars that have been put there by people, that have been put there by just life, and God, you begin to bring your presence, your spirit to fill us up, to heal us truly, to bring shalom, to bring completeness and wholeness to us. We seek you right now. If you're in this place or watching on online and you know that you're far from God, that you don't really have a relationship with him, or maybe you've been doing it on your own right now, I just want you to... If you feel comfortable just surrender your heart to him if you feel like now is the time that you want to respond to Jesus and just say God I surrender my life to you all that I am the things I want people to know about the things I hide from everyone I place it all at your feet and I ask for you to forgive me of my sin I believe in Jesus I believe in the cross I believe that he died for me and he rose again I'm placing my life into this, all my faith, all my effort, and I thank You. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you at the end of the service to take that connect card, So What's Next card in the seat pocket in front of you, to fill it out and bring it to the back of the room. We'd love to get in touch with you this week and help you take your next steps. We believe that you just started a journey with God. Maybe you just recommitted your life to God, I'd ask you to do the same thing. I really believe this. I, I believe that God did not call us to, to do this Christian life, to live out this life by ourselves. I think that he called us to do it in the context of community. And this is a community. This is a community of believers that you can get plugged into in order to continue to be, uh, to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to grow in your faith. We'd love to invite you to be a part of that. At the end of this service, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, we're also going to have a prayer team at the front of the room. And I want to encourage you, if this stirred up anything in your life, maybe in your marriage, in a relationship, I don't know, and you need prayer, I want to encourage you to come up to the front during the song and even at the end of service to get prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe that God hears our prayers and he responds. And, 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 and sometimes he doesn't respond and, and do exactly what we want to have happen, but I tell you what he does, do, he adjusts our heart. He changes our heart in the situation, and, and many times that's all that we're, require, we're required to do. Is just come to the feet of Jesus. And sometimes it looks like maybe coming and praying with somebody. So I want to encourage you to do, to do that. But let's go ahead and stand at our feet. And I want us to, to sing this next song together and declare it. You know, at the end of our services, a lot of times we sing. And this is a time to respond to God. And this is the two questions I want you to ask. I want you to ask, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me? And God... How am I supposed to respond to this? The things that you heard even today, God, like what are you bringing up in my life? And Lord, what am I supposed to do with that? Let's not just listen to a sermon and then just kind of be like, oh, that was great. And walk out. Let's actually allow the Holy Spirit to sort of like permeate our hearts and kind of get past our intellect into our heart. Amen. Come on, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. God, right now, Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.